Welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. In today's episode, we talk about hyperconvergence and the move to multi-cloud. We are joined by Matt Young, Senior Vice President and Head of Asia Pacific and Japan for Nutanix. And I understand he's joined by Jeff Smith, Vice President of Systems Engineering for APJ with Nutanix. Welcome to both of you, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Alan. Yes, thanks very much, Alan. Appreciate it. So first off, uh, let's talk about Nutanix itself. In a nutshell, what is Nutanix? When we first started, we created this hyper-converged category, if you will, right? And it was all about taking servers, storage, virtualization, and putting it in, into one appliance. And at the end of the day, it was all about making storage invisible. That's how it first started out. But then as we, I guess, went down the path of hyper-converged infrastructure, it was all about making the, the infrastructure invisible. And now... How that we've started to see, um, you know, we built these private clouds um, and you see the public cloud as well becoming very popular and important. Uh, we like to say that we've, you know, hyper-converged the clouds and, and essentially hyper-converging the clouds means that you've got to have that hyper-converged foundation if you want to build a hybrid cloud and a hybrid cloud you know, meaning a on-prem cloud and a, a public cloud. That's my definition. Now, Jeff may have something to add from a technical side, and that's why, like you said, I brought the big gun. So, uh, Jeff, feel free to, to add anything there as well. If you don't mind, Alan, I'll just uh, a brief commentary on this. The, the simplest way to, or easiest way to put this is that we simplified the data center. We looked at storage as just another application on a virtual platform. So we use standard servers, nothing special about them. Uh, and in the virtualization layer, on top of that, we, we run storage. So as Matt mentioned, then simplifying that, making the infrastructure effectively invisible, um, making infrastructure operations far easier, upgrades far easier, we've now extended that to the public cloud and supporting hybrid cloud. So that same software footprint runs in AWS, and this week we announced a partnership with Microsoft to run it on Azure. So you have the same experience, whether you're running in a public cloud or on a, on a private cloud on your own data center. And this is really going to transform both the economics, but also the operation, the agility, and, and giving customers a lot of options on where, how, and when they run their workloads. How have cloud infrastructure and management needs evolved during the pandemic period? And how would these look like in 2021, say, in the future? At the end of the day, what the pandemic has, has really done is accelerated transformation. Prior to the pandemic, you know, it's like, you know, are these CIOs ever going to start to really digitally transform their, their enterprises? And, uh, you know, it took five weeks for someone to, you know, with the pandemic to transform what would have taken five years. You know, that that's what happened first and foremost. But I think at the end of the day, you know, business continuity became a priority. You know, the priority of the, and, and IT became relevant, right? It's uh, once again, um, their priority was to keep the, the entire enterprise operational um, while productive at, uh, at the same time. And all this while everybody, you know, had to work, uh, work remotely. Yeah, to add to that, as, as Matt mentioned, sort of this, this acceleration of everything. Customers who were saying, I'm going to be cloud first or focused on the, on the public cloud, were also running into challenges because they didn't know how to operate it. 
customers who thought they had enough capacity when people were working in the office and they, and they have their standard outage windows and, and maintenance windows, that's all been thrown away as we try to do all of this remotely. And of course, workers, the, the staff are, are working remotely using BDI, et cetera. And as we talk to folks, they all are saying, we're going to go back probably to more of a hybrid model where some people are working remotely, working from home, and some people are coming into the office. And we also have to face the fact that there may be another wave of this pandemic, or there may be the next pandemic, or there may be natural disasters. And I think that companies have now faced the reality of business continuity, that operations may be something that your, your infrastructure team has to do from their home on a not so good a network, and they can't go necessarily into the data center that easily. So you need an infrastructure and you need operations to be truly intelligent. You need self-healing. You need what we have as one-click upgrades, the ability to roll through the infrastructure without outages and do upgrades. That's just become more intensified. And I think looking into the, the next year and the, and the years following, the pandemic has also changed the, the view of budgeting and planning, that customers will want a lot more optionality. How do I maybe only purchase for about six months because I don't know when this next problem or next opportunity is going to pass instead of making traditional three, four, five-year commitments and, and, and long-term planning. And therefore, the operations mean that I need to be able to add capacity capabilities incrementally, and I need to do that very, very easily. So I think the pandemic has accelerated a lot of what Nutanix has brought to the table for more than 10 years now. It's the realization that this is the new normal, and having an infrastructure that's this flexible and easy to, to manage is what they're going to need moving forward. Analysts have been talking about a multi-cloud strategy for a number of years now. Now, for businesses looking to build or go towards such a direction, what do you see are the challenges that they will find and how do they overcome these challenges? When I think about the customers I've interacted with over the years, you normally find their a Cisco house, a NetApp house, an EMC house. What, what this means is this is the product I use, this is what my, my people are trained on. And then with public cloud and containers, you see this sudden rush and a, and a shortage of people with DevOps type of skills and the, the orchestration and automation skills. So when customers tell me they want to go public cloud, they want multi-cloud, I have to look inside of that and say, is it because they want to arbitrage and have options so that they can get a better price? Or do they have an application architecture that can take advantage of essentially arbitraging the price of, of, of spot price of something in the cloud uh, that they have that kind of mobility of their applications and containers that they can run them anywhere. Have they thought about where their data should sit? Uh, because data has gravity. Moving data between clouds is very, very expensive because of egress fees. But I still think it all comes back to the biggest challenge we see with our customers is they don't have the skill set or the staff to say, I'm going to support a very complex three-tier traditional storage area network on-premises, I'm going to support AWS, I'm going to use Azure, I'm going to use Google Cloud, I'm going to use Alibaba, and I'm gonna learn Chef, Puppet, Ansible, and all, all these other tools. They need it to be simplified. They need it to be as consistent as possible in terms of operation, deployment, management, troubleshooting, upgrades, 
so they can focus on the applications and running the business. And this now shifting of hyper-converged HCI infrastructure to hybrid cloud infrastructure, so that regardless of what cloud, private or public, you're running on, it's the same experience, the same skill set, so customers can optimize their, their resources in terms of uh, not having to babysit a lot of different vendors and different interfaces, different processes. The data center's been built on over the last 20 to 30 years is, you know, you need a storage admin, you need a virtualization admin, you need the networking admin, you know, it, the list goes on and on and on. And I think at the end of the day, you want to have these generalists, right? That you make it simple, you make it easy so that, you know, they can do, they can handle it all. And, and that's what, where we talk about making the infrastructure invisible, right? And, and again, it's making that seamless, uh, whether it's from a, you know, an on-prem private cloud solution to a, to a public cloud or, 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 or both hybrid, moving in between bursting out into the public cloud when you need particular um, demand, things like that, moving things back to a private cloud when you see that the fees, uh, you know, of a public cloud for a particular application are are too expensive, so it's it's more cost effective to move it back on prem, things like that. And and again, I think at the end of the day, that that flexibility, that generalist mentality is is where this you know hybrid or hyper converged cloud is is going. When you have an, a hybrid multi-cloud environment, who is accountable for availability, reliability, governance, the things that are important to the CIO, and where does internal IT end in terms of responsibility and the cloud provider or the infrastructure guys begin in terms of responsibility? Yeah, I think that's a really compelling question in terms of if you roll your own, if I'm going to go out and try to be like a cloud-native a company developer that means I have to build all the reliability all the multi-zone availability my, my applications need to be architected with the assumption that everything underneath is maybe at best three nines but what I see is something like hyper converged first and foremost before you even go multi-cloud hyper converged took away that finger pointing inside of a Nutanix Prism UI I can see my CPU, my memory, my storage throughput and latency. I can see all of that together and understand my network and everything. That ability to align all of those systems in a single view and troubleshoot is very, very compelling. Because as, as you mentioned, you, you would have had to look at a whole bunch of different log files and go call the networking guy and, and the storage guy and the virtualization guy and the server guy. Whereas now you just look at one interface. Now transport that to the public cloud as a platform. I'm buying bare metal instances, which have a very, they're, they're dedicated to me. So I'm not on a shared best effort public cloud. And I'm running something that was designed to one, be very, very reliable and, and highly available self healing and such. And now I'm running that in the public cloud and I'm using the same interfaces that I was using on-premises. So I've got now a similar troubleshooting and monitoring process. Take that a step further with something else we announced, Carbon Platform Services, which brings everything related to containers so that I can manage containers, I can use Istio as a service, Kafka as a service, Prometheus as a service, 
all deployed and managed in a single interface. And I can run that on a public cloud raw. I can run it on Nutanix on-premises. I can run it on Nutanix clusters. But again, unlike the kind of the normal cloud native extreme where I've got some really smart guys who are deploying and grabbing stuff from GitHub and, and managing all these pieces, it's all in one place. So the, the ability to meet the SLAs and the governance and have the visibility and the reporting goes up significantly when you're running on a common platform that's really a hyper-converged and now a hybrid cloud infrastructure. And that yep. assumption only works if both my on-prem infrastructure and my cloud public cloud provider or providers are using the t- Nutanix technology, right? Is that correct to say? So it's not the providers, it's the, the end user, the customer decides to deploy in those environments, on-premises and in the public cloud using Nutanix as it's effectively its operating system, uh, as its virtual infrastructure in the case of a public cloud. Yes, it, you, it is has end-to-end Nutanix in that case. I can say, yeah, I wanted to make sure that it's clear that it is. it requires that yeah. even on the public cloud provider side, that they do have a Nutanix infrastructure so that my on-prem equipment or OS can actually see that one and manage or the management software can see both sides. But just a clarification on this. So when we run Nutanix on AWS or Azure, it is Nutanix software running just like any other software stack that would run in a public cloud. So there's no Nutanix hardware or system underlying that in the public cloud. We're using their standard bare metal. That changes the yeah. dynamics and so how does that work though do you use api to be able to manage you know, the oem or third-party you know, bare bare metal boxes that they have on the cloud side yeah so when when you get bare metal services from any of these uh, the public cloud providers you you get access to those as if you were managing you know machines machines in the cloud not uh, different you know shirt sizes ec2 instances and things like that so you're actually having access to the hardware so from nutanix's point of view we look downstream underlying and and we see say an aws i3 bare metal instance and all of the memory and storage and and cpu and and such in that as if it was a, another server so we're really server agnostic in that way it just happens to be in this case it's aws the server that our software is running on now we're seeing a shift to a subscription-based model. How does this impact the local IT industry, your resellers? Yeah, no, I think in our in our most recent quarter, about 88% of our revenue was subscription, right? And so basically in the past four to six quarters, we've migrated from you know, very little subscription to almost everything subscription. And so the partners, I think both the partners and the customers alike have embraced it. And the reason for that is it's pretty simple. It's like, listen, we're consuming from a public cloud on a subscription basis. And so when we consume in a private cloud, we want to consume the the same type of way. And then obviously when you blend them together from a hybrid perspective, you got to have a a similar consumption model. And so I think now even, you know, this is honestly, this is the first downturn that we've seen in over a decade. And again, I think uh, customers and partners alike love the opportunity because a lot of people have CapEx limitations now. And so they want to look at, you know, ways how they can drive OpEx. That's where the subscription model comes in. It gives you a lot more creativity in terms of the partner can 
can offer to a customer and say, you know, listen, you know, you don't have to build it and they will come, which is a traditional three-tier way of building out the data center of three years or five years and this huge capacity and will grow into it. Now they can get back to that consumption model, pay as you go, pay as you grow and say, hey, I want, I only want to buy a year, right? Let's, let's see, you know, I want to buy you know, files or object storage for a year and, and let's just try it for a year, see how things are going to be post-pandemic and then maybe we can commit to something longer. The Nutanix solution, for, at least for on-premise, the model is you will install the HCI appliance onto the customer side. How does the utility model work from that perspective? Do you pre-populate the storage, for example, and the number of uh, nodes that you build into this thing? So we have an appliance model. We also have a software-only model. We have OEM models with partners like Lenovo, you know, HP, things like that, that their software can run on on their hardware, or we have an appliance. And so it, it basically starts that you have a minimum of three nodes, and three nodes meaning a server and storage and and virtualization and that gives you that core operating system right and so it allows you to essentially subscribe to buy a subscription to those nodes if those servers running that uh, operating system and you can buy it like i said on whatever term suits you best right and and then that's the core operating system then beyond that we have portfolio products which you know, or about a third of our business now, like I said, where you can have database as a service, you can have files or object storage, like I said, which is very popular. Uh, if you're using VDI, you can have, you know, our networking micro segmentation service. It's very hard to anticipate a need. You know, I could say, okay, today I need one terabyte of storage. Where I were to take a subscription with Nutanix, say, say for a year, a third of the way, suddenly there was a spike in demand. How long does it take for Nutanix to respond to that spike in demand for you to add on additional storage capacity or additional servers to support uh, the VMs that I need to have up and running? There's some interesting aspects to this. So. If you have to order new hardware, then it depends on which hardware you're, you're sourcing. You know, it could be our, our Nutanix um, appliances, it could be HPE, DX, it could be Dell XC. So that depends on the supply chain in that case for the hardware when you need additional capacity. But this is why something like Nutanix AWS clusters and Azure clusters is so appealing is that if I do have that kind of elasticity requirements, I can very rapidly spin up that capacity in the public cloud because procuring bare metal in a public cloud is very, very fast in most cases, even though there did seem to be a bit of a crunch at the beginning of of the COVID pandemic in some places. So that's one side. It's one of the major reasons or one of the major use cases for having tanks clusters to allow Nutanix to run on public cloud. But another aspect of this is that Nutanix has something called Prism Pro that's part of our management uh, capabilities, the, the management plane. And in that, there's the ability to do forecasting. So most customers don't suddenly wake up one morning and, and double their database uh, requirements overnight. They've planned, they've deployed a new new application that needs a, a new database or whatever. So you can actually go into our interface and, and put in some details about the workload. I'm going to add 100 new VDI users of this kind of desktop uh, requirements, or I'm going to add a new database. And we will go and tell you how much runway you have, how much more CPU memory and storage capacity you have, maybe it'll only last you two days or 27 days, but it'll also tell you this is what you would need to add to your cluster 
in order to, to meet those requirements for this new workload. So I got surprised, you use public cloud. That's a perfect use case for public cloud. The, I need to plan ahead and I know I'm gonna to need to add this capacity because if I need more users or I need this new database, you can use our, our forecasting and modeling inside of Prism Pro. But at the end of the day, you build your data center for average use, right? You don't have to yep. build it for peak. That's what the cloud, you know, the burstability is. What's the learning curve like to get productive using the Nutanix environment? I think the, the, the best example of this is, you know, one of our first salespeople became the president of Nutanix. My first three days on the job or whatever, I ended up in Japan and I had to do a demo. And I had watched him do the demo of Nutanix. He was in there showing customers the UI because... It was so compelling to see how easy it was to add a node, remove a node, troubleshoot things. And I did a demo in Japanese, like three days into working for the company or being out in the field. It's that easy. Uh, if you're in IT, it is incredibly easy to pick up. It's, it's a very intuitive interface, and we've done a lot over the years to improve it so that I can do almost like an elastic search. In Prism, you can, instead of having to even know all the details of the interface, you can search for things like trouble VM or problem VM, and it'll give you some sample screens and places to go into the interface where I can, how, how do I inspect the VM and make sure that it's getting the IO that it needs, or I've got a shortage of storage capacity. It'll, it'll actually take you to the pieces of the UI to help you with whatever you're searching for. It's very, very compelling and powerful, and that's how you can actually really learn the interface as well. You don't have to know it all in, in, in advance. For a few years now, we've heard talks about software-defined, okay, software-defined everything pretty much. At the end of the day, my take is that it's all about the experience. What does this software-defined future imply for the digital enterprise, in, in practical terms, ideally? From software-defined, you know, we've come a long ways where, you know, software-defined networking, software-defined storage, um, software-defined data centers. And I think, like you said, Alan, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it does come down to the experience. But that comes down to, I think, as, as Jeff said, you can become a generalist. You don't have to be that storage specialist, that virtualization specialist, or networking specialist, you, you become that generalist, and it, it, it truly be, does become, you know, that much easier and simpler to, uh, to run the infrastructure, and you get to go focus on the projects that really matter to the company. Jeff, anything to add? Yeah, Software Defined has some very interesting implications for automation. Nutanix has something in our product called Crossplay, or Xplay, and it can detect underutilized VMs or non-utilized VMs and suggest you shut them down. It can detect failures and take action. So when you have something that's software-defined, you can start applying machine learning and AI and heuristic algorithms to help you manage or automatically recover from certain types of situations that you can't do in this kind of old hardware static world. And all of these improvements have just come with simple software upgrades to our existing customers who've been running some of those nodes, some of those servers for many, many years, and they still get these features. So as Mark Andreessen said, software is eating the world. And in this case, software is definitely eating infrastructure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Matt, Jeff, thank you for the insights that you've provided today. Thank you very Thanks, much, Alan. Alan. Have a great day. You too. Stay safe, guys. That was Matt Young, Senior Vice President and Head of Asia Pacific in Japan, and he's joined by Jeff Smith, Vice President of Systems Engineering, Asia Pacific and Japan for Nutanix. Our episode for today is on hyperconvergence, cloud, 
and how Nutanix is delivering on the promise of a software-defined future. Or as I put it, service delivery, it's all about control. We've reached the end of another episode of Podchats for Future CIO. We invite you to submit your ideas on topics you'd like us to cover on future episodes. Simply email us at editors at society.com. Also, do visit us at futurecio.tech for the latest in people, process, and technology innovation. And don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter. See you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Music